Very encouraging, very uplifting. Let us turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10 for the last lesson of this study, the last five verses. We've gone through about three different major points in this whole study. And our final point is how the church is to function during a time of suffering, in suffering conditions. I wish I had a nickel for every time I said suffering through this study, but I understand why that's what this book is all about. All suffer. Everyone goes through suffering. There's natural suffering that we experience, and there's suffering that we experience for our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are attacked by the devil. We are attacked by an unbelieving world. If we practice righteous living, the world's not going to like it, and there is definitely going to be opposition against the Christian for that. It's coming our way if we're going to live in a life of godliness. Most people do not want to have anything to do with holiness or godliness. People like to live for their own pleasures. They like to pursue their own things. They like to enjoy entertainment with no moral boundaries to it whatsoever. They think that's a freedom, and they want to be free to do that, and they do not like to see a disciplined life for the Lord. They do not like to see someone that is practicing righteousness in their life. There's going to be a rejection of the people of God when their lives are lived in such a way. But the people of God have a great promise. God will take care of all of his people through the sufferings of life. We have gathered that and then some by this study that we have been through. He keeps us and he preserves us. And one day he's going to take us to heaven where there is no suffering at all. So we can hold out. And we can hang on and we can even hold our head up as we endure in this life that we have to live. And this book, this study of 1 Peter is going to help us do it. The word of God here in this letter, these five chapters, it it wasn't five chapters that Peter wrote. It was one letter and man put chapters and verses in it. And I'm glad of that. I can find things quicker and easier, but this letter, this word of God that is, has been given to us is going to help you and I. I, I. I taught this book several years ago, and this study has been completely different. I've listened to Pastor Stone too many times say I didn't even look at my old notes of that study before, and I did this that this time. I didn't even look at it, and this study has impacted me. The 
Not, 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 I'm not saying the teaching, but the Word of God, and as God has taught me through study, it has helped me in my life. Somebody told me that if you teach the Bible, more is going to stick on you than what sticks on the people. And I, I hope that's not the case, but that's the way it is sometimes. And I, I tell you what, I do not want to look at suffering with the same attitude in the trench that I can get in anymore. And this book is a help that we might not do that. Even right down to the last five verses that we're concluding this study with tonight. Starting in verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, you've probably heard this as many times as I have, but you've all, it's fitting, and you've probably heard of the guy that was trying to get to heaven on the 100-point system. And, and so entertaining his idea, they, okay, well, what good deed have you done? Well, I was a faithful member of the church. I went to church every Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. I was engaged in Bible study. I gave. I gave of my time. I, I, I gave money and anything I could do around the church to help out, I did. Okay, you get one point for that. It's like, whew, that was a big one I was throwing out there. One point. Well, uh, I've been married for 45 years and I've been faithful to my wife and kind to my wife. I never struck her in a physical way and I treated her very good and had compassion upon her. All right, well, you get... You get two points for that. Two. Well, okay, well, my mom and dad in their old age, I have been taking care of them, and they took care of me growing up, and so I took care of them in the same way in their old age. And okay, you're going to get a point for that too. Four. I'm at four points, and this is a 100-point system? If I'm going to get to heaven, it's only going to be by the grace of God. And he's told, enter in. Enter in. You got it. Let's look at the provision for now that the suffering saints have in verse 10. But the God of all grace. It's great that our God has amazing resources to draw from. An inexhaustible pool of grace, if you will, that never runs dry. It never runs out. God has grace for you and I. We have an adversary, the devil. He walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We talked about that last week and we had a serious talk on that and we kind of ended on a serious note. 
with, uh, you know, and, and, and so for any uplifting and any encouraging we can get to in, in, in such a serious, disciplined understanding and truth of the enemy that we fight every day. Here it is. But God. Yes, we have a, a horrible enemy, a roaring lion. But God. I love it when I'm at the villas and uh, or, or a lot of places and I hear a testimony and I hear what people have been through in their life. And 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 if they had continued down the road they were on, they would have probably died at a young age. And then in their testimony, they say, but God and that man, that's always good to hear. And here we have but the God of all grace. We have a ferocious enemy but the God of all grace is our Father. And we can call on our Father. And He has made provisions for you and I now. The God of all grace. Everything God does for us is free. It's unearned. It's unmerited favor. If you're trying to earn something with God, you're, you're on a dry run it's not going to happen. He's a, he's a giver by grace. He's the God of all grace. I was saved by the gospel of grace. It's a gift of God for us. And everything that God does for us, it is free. Every blessing that we have ever been blessed with, it has come out of God's favor. Not a response to us catching his eye by a work we have done. It is the favor of God that we receive the blessings of God. Life is a gift of grace. And grace is enough. We, we think of all the different dynamics and we, we think of all of these things as we go through our suffering and we can sum up the solution. We can sum up the answer in one word, grace. His grace is enough for you and His grace is enough for me in all that we go through. The Apostle Paul went through some suffering and he asked the Lord to take away his suffering. He, did, he asked him more than once. He asked him more than twice to please take away the suffering that he was going through. And God saw fit not to take it away. But he didn't leave him there. He didn't leave him helpless. He didn't leave him hopeless. He gave him an answer. And he wasn't going to take away his suffering. But he said, you're going to be paraphrasing in the thought of what that means. There, you're going to be able to live with it because my grace is sufficient for thee. I'm not taking away the trouble, but you have all the grace you need, Paul, and you're going to be able to handle it. My grace is sufficient. God's grace is the provision for now. All that we go through now isn't a problem to God and it's helped and we're blessed and we're carried along by His grace. Is His grace enough for you? His grace is enough for me. There's a provision for now, but we don't stop there. There's a provision for later. Continue with me in your Bibles in verse 10. Who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus. The provision for now is grace. The provision for later 
is glory, eternal glory. This is an invitation, a participation, a celebration forever. And all are invited to it. God has, people don't like the word invited sometimes. But, but that's within what that word called means. We're, we're called and God calls all to this invitation of celebration with him. God wants everyone in heaven with him. God wants everyone to be free from sin, free from their burdens, free from death, free from disease. He wants to free everyone for eternity. He wants to give them eternal life. He, he'd have all to worship and to praise Him continually forever in heaven. Not a, That's what everyone's called to. Everyone's called to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and to have this Hope had this provision for later, the eternal glory of God. But not everyone's going to be able to be there. And it's not because God didn't choose them. God, God chooses to save all, but people choose not to be saved and not to trust Christ as their Savior. I tell you what, I'm going to be there. And those of you in Christ, you're going to be there. Your eternal glory is, is just ahead for you and I, we're going to be in glory with Jesus Christ and our loved ones for eternity. And we're going to worship him and we're going to serve him all the time. Praise God. Praise God that he's committed himself to those who have trusted him. He's committed himself to keep and to preserve his children for eternal glory. To worship and to praise him to be out of the presence of sin. Hell is shunned by the people of God. The people of God are going to be with God for eternity. He's taking the believer to glory. And grace is going to keep the sufferer in this life and get us there. And he has conveyed grace. He has called us to glory. And he has it prepared for the child of God. There's a provision now. There's a provision for later. And there's pain for a moment. We're still in verse 10. After that ye have suffered a while. Make you perfect. Establish. Strengthen. Settle you. If you haven't caught anything yet. Here, here's something right here. The way God is going to preserve and to keep his children for glory through suffering is by suffering. God is using our suffering. He's using our suffering to do something in our lives that he wouldn't do any other way. It's the suffering that is that special ingredient that, that in the molding process, if he's the potter and we're the clay and he's molding us, you got to add a little water every now and then to make the clay more pliable. And our troubled waters, God is using. He's using to mold us and to make us something by, through suffering, by suffering. Notice what it says here. After that, ye have suffered for a while. 
Look how he's going to perfect us. Look how he's going to establish us. Look how he's going to settle us. After that, he is going to use the evil that we undergo and the afflictions that we experience. God is going to start making us what we ought to be by the suffering that we go through in life. You know, the moment we're saved, we are something. We are forgiven. We are a child of God. We are a citizen of heaven the moment we're saved. But God forbid we only think about what we are because we are undone as we are and we are not finished. There is something we are going to be. God is making us something more and more than what we are every day. I do thank God I'm not what I was, but I know I'm not everything I ought to be. But God is working on that and he's using a lot of things to do that. And one thing he's using is the difficulties that you and I go through. We shouldn't just think about what we are, but what shall we become? How shall we become what we ought to become? Well, you might guess by, by salvation. By salvation, we're going to become what we ought to become. By sanctification, we're going to become what we ought to become. By the scriptures, we are. By by. By suffering, by supplication, and by suffering. It's that ingredient of suffering that God is using as the potter. And he's molding something particular into us in a, in a certain way. Jonathan and I were building a fence a while back. Nolan, can you imagine me building a fence with Jonathan Bircher? Just as entertaining as you might guess. I'm over here with the four by fours and the pickets and I put John on the on the cement in a bucket and some water and and it mixed the cement up and he's got a lot of water in that bucket. And the reason why it was real easy to mix that way. I was like, well, that's not going to get it done, though. And I think about him and his dad and the, the way they cook and stuff. So I said, here it is, Jonathan, just like with stuff you mix up in the kitchen, peanut butter consistency. Give me peanut butter consistency for the cement. I mean, I mean, it needs to be just right. It's, it can't be too much water and it can't be too little. You know, God's monitoring the suffering in our lives. He, he is using a certain amount of it. He's, he's allowing a certain amount and it's just, it's a different amount for you and I for different reasons maybe, but it's a particular ingredient in the molding of our lives. And we can trust what he's up to. And we can trust what he's promising that he is doing. There is pain for a moment, but God is very precise with it. He's making adjustments in us by way of suffering and making us more like Christ. He's making adjustments in our character. And he wouldn't do it any other way in this particular facet than with the sufferings that we face. He's doing a, a mighty thing in these things. If we'll trust him and if we love him, all things are going to work out for good. The why 
and the bitterness, that's never going to work out. But if we'll trust him, he's going to work all things out for good. No one else can do it like him. He'll lay out all the parts as they should be, and he will set us in place. He will set us, he will reset us in place, and, and he'll keep us close to him. If we'll stay close to him, if we'll want him, if we'll walk with him, he'll keep us close and he'll be working out his will through the sufferings that we face. He's working in us through sufferings to do many things. One thing he's doing is he's making us immovable. He wants to make us to stand strong. Man, man was out of sea. It was told like a t- true story. He was out of sea on his boat and his boat crashed. He, he fell out of his boat and the wind was crazy. The waves were crashing and the, the boat couldn't be found. The man wasn't found for 48 hours. They decided to go out again and they go out looking for him. And there they find him. He's on this giant rock. And they, and they get over this man. They're so excited that he's alive. And they get to him and they say, How were you not shaken by, by the waves and the wind. How did you endure this? He said, I was shaken by the waves and the wind, but the rock wasn't. And I'm on the rock. And you and I, as we go through our things in life, to stand on Christ, that is what He's doing in us. He is, he is making us stable. He is establishing you and I to be able to stand. No matter how great the temptation, no matter how... Great the attack of the devil. God's working through our suffering to make you and I immovable. Immovable. Endowed with strength that only God can give. He's making us strong. Suffering. It doesn't settle our nerves. And it doesn't calm our fears. But what God does in our suffering, and with our suffering, He does that very thing with it. That only He could do. No one else could take our suffering and do something good with it, but God does. And He promises to. And He gives us a new outlook. He gives us a new attitude. And He establishes us. He gives us security through the difficulties that we face. What God does with suffering and in suffering, no one else can do. He's placing us on a firm foundation. There's a stanza to that song. We sang it a couple of Sundays ago. How firm a foundation. There's there's one part that says, When through fiery trials thy path shall lie, My grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. This is is pain management, if you will, precisely by our great physician. He is allowing just the certain amount in our lives. It passes his checkpoint station. And, and who knows what all he detours and bypasses us from. 
thank God for the things that, that He doesn't allow us to go through because I believe with all my heart that He does that, that we bypass many things as a child of God, but some things He says okay to. And He is making us what we ought to be. Peter wasn't everything that he was supposed to be when he got started. Everyone here can probably mention Peter's flops that he made. He didn't stay that way, though. Peter got built up. He became that rock as he was named. The pain is for a moment, but it's a plan to mold us, and he's making us something for eternity. So that leads to praises forever. God is due praises forever. I've looked, I've looked at this verse unlike any other time I've ever looked at it. Verse 11. It says, To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter has gone through in this last verse, in verse 10, just... He broke forth in several synonyms. These words are so closely related as he, as he just kind of went on a, a rant here. The, the emotion, you would have to say, is getting high when he's talking about our suffering for a while. And then he says to make you perfect, to establish, to strengthen, to settle you. To, that, those, those words establish and settle, they are extremely closely related. And he just kind of went on and on there for a moment. And it's building up to an outbursting moment of praise to God. I mean, he's talking about the sufferings we go through. And then he says what God is building us up and doing in us through them. And then he just goes off into praise to God. I believe it is praise to God that is not asking any questions questions about the suffering he's going through. I believe that as he's praising God here, there is no doubt, if only for a moment, there's no doubt, there's no why, there's no how long I'm going to go through this. It is just pure praise to God. And I believe you and I can have that. If, if it's just a moment of it here and there, I believe as you and I meditate on this word and we consider God's truth, that there might be some pure praise given to him and not the question off on the side and not how long off on the side and why me, Lord, or why this? I believe that this is a moment that God had Peter in where it was just pure praise to him even while he's suffering, even in his dark moment, even as he's so heavily burdened for the scattered saints that, that were just that, that had just lost everything, and he had heaviness upon him uh, for them, as God's given him the, the duty of writing to them, and he just stopped and praised him. Praise Him forever. God is worthy. He's worthy of all our praise. Our God who allows us to suffer for His holy, righteous reasons in heaven, He's worthy of all our praises. He's worthy of praise forever for assuring us of salvation in spite of our sins. For perfecting, establishing, strengthening, and settling us. He's worthy of praises forever because no enemy will ever be able to stand against him. He's the victor overall. He's worthy of praise for this. 
He's glorious and he's sovereign and we can rest in him. We can rest in complete expectation of the fact that we are secure in him no matter what. Will you let that overwhelm you during a time of overwhelming suffering? This is this is where this is where Peter ends it. This is his it's the finale of the instructions of suffering. And he gives just the ultimate pure praise to God. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We think of our suffering we go through, but our God, he, he is all powerful. He's the greatest authority. There was no one higher than our God. He is he's the most amazing thing for us. And He's worthy of our praises. He's worthy of our praises always. And as that seems to end the instruction, we go into the closing salutations. But there's still something here. There's still something here in this. As we go through verses 12 and 13, we see the people at the time. First, we see Silvanus, Silas. Peter has completed these instructions but now, but now there's something for the suffering saints that encourages them as Silas sends a, a word of well wishes, a word of, of encouragement to them. You know, some people have such a life and God gives them such a life and they go through so many things that, that they're just a very special encouragement to someone who is going through a time of suffering. And Silas, he, he served with Peter. Silas was a great missionary. He was a tremendous example. He was a leader in the church. God used him as his mouthpiece in many cases. As we think about Silas, he was a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Literally, Silas spent time in prison for the sake of Jesus Christ. So you have someone who has had their own kind of suffering. And he's, he's relating. And he doesn't just have sympathy. He has empathy. And he feels these scattered saints. And, he's, and, he, and he sends well wishes to them. And sometimes that's, there's nothing more encouraging. Than, than when God uses someone in a special way in our lives. And obviously Peter was used. In a special way in his life. Peter himself was the one that had the privilege of, of recording this word that God inspired. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. It wasn't Peter. He might have used Peter's fisherman personality and some things in it. But it was God's word going through him. And, and he had the privilege to do this. He had the privilege for five chapters to share the grace of God for the suffering children of God. I mean, I mean, we went through it. We have an, an incorruptible inheritance is what he shared with them. Uh, the salvation of the soul. He mentions that to encourage these Christians. The redemption of our soul. The ransom price that was paid. Peter talked about the second birth. That we have been born again. If we're, if we're, if we're born once, we die twice. If we're born twice, we die once. You must be born again. And, and Peter shared that with them. We have a place in the family of God. He's telling these sufferers and encouraging them of a place that they have in the family of God. A royal 
priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. We have a place in the family of God. And by grace, Christ bore our sins on the tree. What a great thing to always remind the sufferer of, and he does, that Christ suffered for us. He's a victor over all of our enemies. And we've learned, and these Christians that were written to learned, that we're privileged to live for Christ. There's suffering involved, and it's a privilege to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be exalted in due time, and we're kept and preserved for eternity. We are kept by the power of God through faith. I'm not going to try to keep my salvation. I couldn't try to keep it. That's not God's design. If it were us to keep it, we'd all lose it. But we're kept, Peter said, by the power of God through faith. Rest in that. Rest in that. Rest in that sufferer is what they're telling him here. You know, after what Peter has shared, we should never think the same in our suffering. I, I know we're going to have our moments. But we ought to have a moment like Peter did of praising him forever, no matter what. The people at the time that that wrote to him, not only Silas and Peter, but the church at Babylon, one church sending well wishes to another, one church that had been through a whole lot. This is the church at Rome. And, and there was some secrecy that had to take place because of the suffering they would go through. And they send well wishes. And then we have Marcus. This is John Mark. Peter calls him his son. He's calling him his son as in his son in the faith, a son in the ministry. The family of God becomes so close. Marcus was a relative to Barnabas. And he, and he was going on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. And he, he did, and he, he hit a moment of weakness, and he backed out. And, I mean, he just fell off. And then all of a sudden, he's recommitted again. And he wants to go with them again. And Barnabas says yes. And Peter said no. And, and, and John Mark was so determined, he let them argue over him. Because he was, he was committed, he was going to prove himself. John Mark fell off the horse, but he got back on. When, when we have a failure, when we have a mistake, it's not about looking back at what happened that matters. What we do going forward, that's what matters. And John Mark is an excellent example of that. He proved himself. And Paul later had to say that he is profitable to me for the ministry. We got to look forward. When we fall off the horse, we got to get back on. That's what matters. How we respond to what has happened. And you think about somebody like John Mark. And, and, and just a word of salutation going out to these suffering saints. And they know what happened to John Mark. And it was encouraging. It was encouraging to them. I tell you what. The people at the time. God's going to put certain people in 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 and around you at a certain time and it's going to be for a certain reason let's go ahead and close though with the peace for all time in verse 14 greet ye one another with a kiss of charity peace be with you all that are in christ jesus amen the i know i know a preacher friend and and he's solid and he's one of the best young preachers that that I've ever heard. He probably is. But he was, he's thinking about bringing back 
the greeting one another with a holy kiss in church. And I'm like, well, you're on your own with that. But but anyway, this, this is something that they used to do. All right. And. It's an outward thing that is done, but there's a deep inward meaning greeting one another with a holy kiss. It's it's unity in the family of God. It's it's a closeness. Drawing the people together, one definition of peace is a binding. And the people of God are to be binding together. Closely through all that we go through. When we separate and kind of get off on our own like a Lone Ranger, look, we don't have to be alone. We're never alone in what we go through. That's what that kiss of charity speaks of. It's what it demonstrates. We're never alone in all that we go through. We need to bind together with the people of God. There are Christians throughout this earth. And some of them are separated. I'm talking about some that sit in church every week. They're separated. They, they have a stiff arm up. They have a hand up for a wall and won't let people in. And look, I, whenever, uh, whenever I surrendered to preach, somebody came up and said, this is really something you, to say to a young man, which I was, uh, that's called to preach. And I'm just going to tell you what it is. Sometimes Christians will stab you in the back worse than people in the world. And I don't want to be insensitive to anyone who has had that happen to them, even within the family of God. But I tell you what, that hurt will never be worse than closing off the people of God and not letting them in, not being not binding together with the people of God. That is going to hurt worse to experience that separation than coming into the people of God, oh, the whole church, everybody together. This is this is the desire that Peter had in the opening salutation. Peace be unto you. And it's the it's what he expresses and well wishes for them in the end of this letter. It's in the beginning and the end that they might bind together in their suffering one with another. Cling together, exhorting one another and experiencing together the provision, the deliverance, the guidance, the encouragement, the strengthening, the sustaining of God's promises to his people. Peter began with a desire for peace and, and ends with peace. You know, there's a peace that's continual for the people of God. Philippians 4, 7 talks about it. It's talking about the peace of God, the peace of God is for the people of God all the time. We need it. This is what he's desiring and, and expressing. But if we were to talk about, the peace, about peace with God, that's something totally different. That's something that happens in a moment. The peace of God is something we need continually as a Christian. Peace with God is how we become a Christian. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I think some people come to a knowledge maybe. 
You know, I, I think some people sometimes come to this grand discovery in their mind. They've been in a, in a false denomination or they have been in a false religion. And when they hear about the things of God, they, they, sometimes people want to think they're right because they're in the right place and they're hearing the right thing. But this is something personal that happens individually with every person that can experience the peace of God, that they make peace with God. We're born at enmity with God. We're born in hostility against God. We're born the enemies of God. And if you've never understood that, I don't know how you've ever been saved. If, if you understand tonight that, that, you're, that you were a sinner and that you needed Jesus Christ to save you from your sins so you wouldn't go to hell, you, and you've trusted in Jesus, you're saved. But if you don't understand that, that you're in place of the enemy of God before coming to Christ Jesus in a relationship. It, I don't, it hasn't happened for you. But if you're here tonight and you haven't personally, yourself, trusted Jesus to save you from your sins, you can't have any of this help through suffering. It, talk about all alone. You're, you're all alone and we may think we deal with it on our own, but then there's that something that comes along that'll just knock us off. And there's no help right there. God, God's creator, but he's not father. He's not personal. If there be here, one here tonight that does not know the, the saving faith of Jesus Christ, a personal relationship where you trust Jesus to save you from your sins. You need to be saved tonight. Because there's a suffering for eternity. And it's outside the love of Christ. You have to reject the love of Christ. And if you haven't received him. You're rejecting. Delay is very dangerous. If there be one here tonight. We, we hope that you won't leave. Before asking questions. Before seeing God in written form in this book. And he'll tell you to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He's calling you and he's drawing you to do that right now. If you're here tonight and not saved. I hate for anyone to hear such glorious, comforting truth for the sufferer that God will give. God has, has free favor and his gift for the sufferer. But not if we die in our sins. He died for our sins. He wants to know you personally. We're going to pray. We're going to go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And nobody's leaving really quick. There will be around. People will be around. You be saved tonight if you're not saved. Brother Ray, would you close us in prayer?